Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, as you've already heard, my name is Esther, and I'm one of the key leaders here at EBI. Today, we're starting a new mini-series on Exodus, and we're going to be exploring God's people finding freedom, who was involved in that, and what that looks like or means for us today. So today we're going to be looking at two different passages that follow on from one another, but I'm going to read them separately and explore each one individually, even though they do link, but I just felt there were certain points I wanted to bring out of each one uh, and not forget the passage that came before. So we're going to start by reading Exodus chapter 1 from verse 6, and we'll explore that, and then we're going to read from Exodus 2. So throughout this morning we're going to be looking at themes of fear, uh, of boldness, injustice, uh, but focusing more on fear and boldness. And it might make some of us feel uncomfortable exploring these things. But I just want to encourage you, don't switch off, don't escape. Like, it's really easy to do that when we feel uncomfortable, is to start thinking about something else. Uh, it was challenging for me writing this, and it made me feel uncomfortable, some of the things that I was thinking about and that God was kind of bringing up in my mind. So uh, I hope it makes sense. I found it quite hard to put what was in my head down on paper, so bear with me if it just seems a little bit all over the place. But let's jump straight in. So we're going to read from Exodus 1, starting at verse 6. So it says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country." So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Hua, I hope I've said those right, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stall, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now for me, when I um, read that passage, there, were, there was a word that stuck out, and that was fear. 
And so what we're going to be thinking about in this first passage is who or what do we fear more? We've read in this passage about Pharaoh, Shifra and Pua. And we're going to kind of think about what or who did they fear most and what were the outcomes of their behaviour. Now it's said that there are different types of fear. The first being holy fear. And it's said to be God-given. It enables humanity to respect God's authority, obey his commandments and hate and shun all form of evil. So that godly fear motivates those who believe in Jesus to seek holiness And it's reflected in the way that they are towards others. There is slavish fear, which says there's a natural consequence of sin. It highlights what we've become slaves to. Now, it's not of itself good, but it is said that the Holy Spirit can use it to convict us, to encourage us to turn away from that thing that enslaves us and turn our eyes towards Jesus. And the other kind of fear is called fear of humanity, This is a fear of what humanity are capable of and a fear of losing one's power to others. So we're going to start with Pharaoh. Now Pharaoh was a king. His role was to control his country, protect himself and protect his country and his people. But it seems, and it seems quite clear to me in this passage, that he feared the Israelites. He had this fear of humanity. The Israelites were becoming more powerful. They were increasing in number. They were a threat to him and his empire. In verses 6 to 7, words associated with growth are mentioned four times. And during the whole of this passage, they are mentioned ten times. It is so clear that God was blessing the Israelites and they were multiplying. It doesn't tell us that the Israelites wanted to rule and reign, and it's quite possible that they didn't. Only that they were filling the land. But Pharaoh clearly doesn't like this. He preempts any takeover by the Israelites. He shows them who is in charge, just in case they weren't sure. It was as though he felt that this was his only option, that he didn't have a choice. Verse 11 says that they put slave masters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labour. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities. And verse 14 says that they made their lives bitter with harsh labour in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labour, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. This is clearly abuse and exploitation and slavery. And sadly, this does still exist today. But this is not God's way. This is not okay. But I don't think it had the desired result that Pharaoh hoped for. Verse 12 says, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. It doesn't say whether the Israelites retaliated to being treated so badly. It suggests that they weren't. Maybe they were behaving more like God. But it shows that God was not blessing Pharaoh's way of dealing with things. But that's not enough for Pharaoh. He has to go one step further. He decides that the baby boys are not allowed to live. This is extreme. And it made me think about 
what Pharaoh must have been thinking to decide to do this. He must have felt threatened, terrified, weak, angry, complete hatred for the Israelites. He could have felt completely out of control. Now this isn't an excuse for what he did, but it demonstrates his level of fear and possibly what he felt about himself. Possibly he felt that he wasn't good enough, that his identity was totally in his role as a king and in his status and in his levels of success. And this manifested in a need to dominate and assert his authority in the most brutal of ways. And when I kind of sat thinking about Pharaoh, actually for me it was quite painful. My heart went out to him a little bit because it just seems that he didn't know what true love was. The passage tells us that, he, that Joseph meant nothing. He didn't know what God had been doing for the Israelites. He didn't know God. And often, we don't actually like to understand the people who cause pain and suffering. We only see what they've done, and we don't see the person behind it. Because this is really hard, and this is a process that takes time. And it's something that I've learned to do in my job. I work with people with convictions, and it's very hard just to see what that is without seeing the person. And God has enabled me to actually get to know the people I work with. But it still isn't always easy. It's still a process I go through. And the hardest thing sometimes to accept is that God does love people. He did love Pharaoh despite what he did. But he hated everything that he was doing. And then again, this is hard to get our head around. Especially if we have been kind of... uh, a victim or survivor of something, or we know people that who have. But this isn't the only place in the Bible where we see people acting out of fear of humanity. There's a bit in the Bible about a guy named Saul who was king, and there was another guy called David who was destined to become king. Now they initially got on, but then Saul's fear of David being better than him being liked more than him, got the better of him, and he tried to kill him. But this is also the case with Jesus. The religious leaders didn't like what Jesus was saying. They didn't like that the people were flocking to him and following him and being amazed by him. So they killed him. The thing is, God doesn't want us to be like Pharaoh. He wants us to be like Shifra and Pua. So we read that they are midwives. Now, there are midwives here who know far more than me about being a midwife, so I'm just kind of guessing a little bit about what you do there, Bex, I'm just saying. But I imagine that your role is to help and protect the mum, to protect the baby and preserve life. And wonderfully, what we read about is that these midwives, they feared God. So we can assume that they were acting out of this holy fear, which was God-given. This holy fear enables us to respect God's authority and hate and shun all form of evil. They knew that what Pharaoh was asking them to do was completely against God's character. 
And they said no. They chose God's way, not Pharaoh's. And they let the boys live. But I wonder how they felt. I wonder how easy it was for them to say no to Pharaoh. Maybe they did feel some fear about what he might do to them. Maybe they felt threatened. But they also knew they were in quite a powerful position. They could save the boys. They could help the mums. It was their job to help the women and these babies. And it seems as though they felt they could give this control completely to God about what would happen. Now the other thing that sticks out to me here in this first passage is that Shifra and Pua are the only people to actually be named. The name Pharaoh is the general name for a king, it's not his actual name. And there was something here that stuck out that said to me about focusing on the midwives' behaviour, how they imitated God. They didn't join in with the evil and they are the ones to be remembered, not Pharaoh or his actions. I also love how the passage shows us two separate outcomes. Pharaoh's violent actions through fear of humanity didn't stop God's plan from happening. The Israelites continued to multiply. Yet Shifra's and Pua's life-saving actions that came out of love and respect to God and his character enabled the baby boys to live. So what or who do we fear more? So we're going to move on to read Exodus 2. And we're going to think a bit more about boldness, but how that, where our fear comes from, could enable our boldness. And this passage is about the birth of Moses, which we will hear, we will hear more about Moses in the coming weeks. But this says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child... She hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, I, um, what stuck out to me here initially, and I actually changed the way I worded this point this morning, which sometimes happens when you plan sermons, um, so what I kind of wanted to say today is that we, we won't always know the impact our boldness could have. Now we read in this passage about Moses' mum, his sister and Pharaoh's daughter. But we're going to focus more on Moses' mum. And it is true that sometimes when we act in a bold way for God, 
We don't always know what the outcome is going to be. And we might not even see it. But the passage tells us that Moses' mum saw that, she, that Moses was a special child. So she hid him for three months. But she would have just no idea how special this little boy was and what he would go on to do. She knew that Pharaoh wanted him dead because he was a Hebrew boy, but she took the risk of hiding him. And we know that this must have been quite a big deal because it's mentioned in the New Testament in Hebrews 11, verse 23, which says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. No, I'm, I'm not a mum, but I know that babies cry and that they are loud. It's the kind of noise that you hear from far away. If you're in a supermarket and there's baby, a baby crying, you hear it. And it, for me, it's the kind of noise that goes right through me. And so I kind of was thinking, how hard it must have been for her to keep him hidden for three months. That's not like a short period of time. That's quite a chunk. Uh, and that was no mean feat. But I imagine that, that when you're a parent, there's this fierce boldness in you to protect your child and that you do anything you can to save your child. And the only thing I could relate that to is the way that I feel about my nieces and nephews who are growing in number, um, which is great. But we see that there comes a point in time that Moses' mum decides that she needs to put him in a basket. And maybe this is her other way of trying to keep her baby safe. We don't know what triggered this. But it seems that as we dedicated, uh, Benebeck's dedicated Noah today, that I felt that this is maybe the way that Moses' mum dedicated him to God, by trusting him and saying, God, I'm going to give him to you. I don't know what's going to happen, but I can no longer keep him safe. But the wonderful thing is that we read is that Pharaoh's daughter, interestingly, is the one that finds the baby in the basket. Now, what again I was thinking about is that Pharaoh's daughter must have known what her dad was doing, that what her dad was ordering, but she chooses not to go along with it. She knows that this is a Hebrew baby, but she decides to take him anyway and save him. And it's Moses' mum, it's the baby's mum that gets to have him back, to nurse him, to look after him, and get paid. I mean, that's a bit of a win, right? Get paid to look after your own child. Great. But again, it can't have been easy for Moses' mum, because again, we read that she had to give him back when he was a bit older. We don't know how old he would have been, but we can assume he must have been weaned by that point. But again... How hard must this have been to do this? To give your child away, to get him back again, to then give him away again. I genuinely can't imagine what that would be like. But again, it suggests that there is this trust of God and this ability to hand him over. Now, I'm not sure, um, thinking back to the first passage, whether Shifra or Pua would have known the impact their behaviour would have had in the long term. But because of their boldness in saying no to Pharaoh, Moses was born and kept alive. They may not have been the midwives for his mum, but no doubt they would have inspired others. 
And I'm just going to do a little spoiler alert. So if you haven't read on before, Moses is the one that goes on to lead the Israelites to freedom and away from the oppression of the Egyptian empire. I'm going to say it again because it's, it's quite a big deal. That because of the actions of Shifra and Pua, Moses led the Israelites to freedom. Now I was racking my brains to see if I had a story to share of where maybe my boldness saved a life, but it, I don't have one of that, I'm afraid. But um, something that, I, that did occur to me about uh, an act of boldness that happened that did have kind of a long-term impact on other people is when I felt God um, call me to go and serve him in Colombia. And I went over with an organisation. And the reasons it was bold is because at the time I was 26. I was in a job that I loved. I was part of Ebby and saying goodbye to Ebby for a year was very hard. I lived, rented a flat with great housemates. I had friends, my family here, and I knew and understood the language. But I chose to move to a place where I didn't know anyone, where I couldn't speak the language or understand it. So I went everywhere with my dictionary. And every day for one year, there was something that I didn't understand. But God did provide. But the things that happened were there was a period where my dad came to visit me for two weeks. And in that time, he came and helped me with a couple of my English classes. And I, I'm not an English teacher, so I was just making it up as I went along. But they wanted to do some interview practice. And my dad, as part of his job, had kind of done interviews with lots of people. So he was the right person to come along. And their response to him was that he was amazing that he was explaining concepts to them in ways that were simple, but that didn't make them feel stupid. And that they learned so much from that one-hour session with him. And, it, and I related this back to my dad, and, and he was semi-retired, didn't really enjoy his job. And I said, have you ever thought of, of teaching English as a foreign language? And he went, oh, I don't want to go and study again. I'm too old. And when we kind of looked at actually what it took, he realised that it was possible. And to cut a long story short, he's been teaching English as a foreign language to individuals for the last few years. And he loves it. And he's incredibly good at it. And there is no way that when I felt God tell me to go to Colombia, could I have seen the impact it would have then had on my dad. And another thing to come out of Colombia was a friend of mine who I met in Colombia was one of my classes. He always had felt a call to come and serve God in England, but... At that time, this was eight years ago, it was incredibly difficult because financially, England is so expensive compared to Colombia. But also not many people were able to get visas and things like that. But I put him in touch with the charity that I went with. And again, long story short, a few years later, after he'd managed to save the money, he was able to come and serve God in a church in England. And he now uh, lives here. He got married to a, another girl that, again, weirdly, had been in Colombia, but was English. Um, and again, when I went, there is no way that I could have known that this would happen for this friend of mine. So we won't always know the impact that our boldness can have. Now, Jesus' death on the cross encompasses love, surrender, Submission, invitation, hospitality, and receptivity to love. Jesus consented to his death, but he rose again on the third day 
and he reigns and rules in heaven and in the world. However, he doesn't rule by force or coercion. His way of doing things is not at all like the way of Pharaoh. He doesn't force himself into our lives or make us receive his love. But he does invite us to willingly respond to the offer of relationship with God. One that is loving and not one of a dominating, controlling taskmaster. And as I was praying about the sermon and and things, the words consent and choice came out more than anything. And I just felt that maybe there's someone here that doesn't feel that they've got a choice. That they feel they have to go along with it, whatever it is. But that they want to be able to choose. And if that resonates with you, then uh, I would love to pray with you. But if you would rather someone else prayed with you, then do ask someone to pray with you on that. Now, I'm going to invite the band back up to come and lead us in worship. And I'm sure that maybe I've brought out some things for us today that might be helpful to respond to as we worship God. The first thing that you might want to respond about is, again, what, what do you fear most? Maybe you've got a fear of what other people think of you. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to ask God, what does God think of you? And listen to what he's got to say. Maybe you want to be a bit more like the women we've read about and their boldness. You want to step out for God. You want to stand up for the injustices that you see. I'd encourage you to ask God, what does this look like? What's the first little step in that journey of becoming bolder? But maybe you're sat here and you don't know Jesus personally, but you think you might want to. I would just encourage you to ask him into your life. To say sorry for the things that you've done that might be hurtful, but let Jesus in and let him love you. So I'll just pray as the band come up.